Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. Hey, Warner from the Low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. We've got a great podcast for you. Guys. Joining me in segment number two, Patrick Creighton. He does great work over at ESPN 97.5. That is out there in the lovely city of Houston. You can also catch him nationally from time to time over on SportsMap Radio as well. We're going to be chatting with him about the American League playoff race that we're going to see in the second half of the season. Certainly going to go a little AL West-centric, going to be going a little bit more Astros-centric, but we're going to be taking a look at the lay of the land with all these teams, which team he feels is least likely to be able to make the playoffs as well. And we're also going to be taking a look at some of the pitching issues that we have seen with the Houston Astros as well. So that's going to be happening in segment number two in the final segment. Going to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this Baseball Monday as we touch them all. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore 81 slash my X timeline. They change that on me. Keep in mind, letters CM. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual. Please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Did not get in any Twitter questions today, but we had a great day of baseball on Sunday. Let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. For those that rode with me on the DK Network, right? A pick of over eight and a half on Orioles versus Rays. And if you got in late, you got to push on the nine. But if you rode with it, you got there. Five to four and 11 innings. The Orioles twice in this game, once in the ninth inning, once in the 10th inning. They were down to their final out and came up with a run to be able to extend the game. And then it was Cedric Mullins' sacrifice fly that drove in Adley Rushman that won the game. For the Rays, they went 0 of 7 with men in scoring position as they were just completely reliant on the deep ball in this one as Dean Kremer, he allowed a home run very early on to Brandon Lau. He got loud with his 21st home run of the season. And then you would see Christian Bethencourt go deep off of Ore Lopez 
for home run number 10 of the campaign. And how about a home run number one for a young gun, Tristan Gray? He was able to go deep of Avari Lopez as well. Not a great day for Lopez as he goes one and a third innings, allows two runs, including two solo home runs for Kramer. Pretty solid. He gave up that solo home run over the course of five innings. From there, you had Shotaro Fujinami, Sinal Perez, Beast Meal together, a squirrel sending Danny Colum, one and a third inning squirrel is before Yanir Cano goes for one and a third innings, allows an unearned run in the 10th inning before D.L. Hall, a flawless 11th inning. And for the Orioles, Adelie Rushman was able to go deep off of Pete Fairbanks, 19th home run season. Was interesting to see Pete Fairbanks used for a full two innings. He allowed that hit in the ninth inning that allowed the game to be extended. 39 pitches in total for him. That has to be a season high. Might be a career high from Zach Liddell as the starter. He came up pretty big for little four and two-thirds innings. He allows just one run. Compouche from there. Four outs out of the bullpen. Robert Stevenson. He goes for a scoreless inning out of the bullpen before Sharon Armstrong. Jake Diekman. They both allow an honored run in the 10th and 11th accordingly. And for the Tampa Bay Rays. Been really incredible what we've seen out of this bullpen, by the way. They have now thrown, I believe it's... My math might be off here, but 42 and two-thirds innings and have allowed three earned runs in that time span. So they've really been able to do a nice job logging it down there. The Yankees' bullpen has been solid as well. The offense has not been, and that happened once again on Sunday, 3-2. to two. Pittsburgh Pirates are able to get the job done. Anthony Volpe was able to go deep off of Andre 3000 Jackson. 21st home run of the season for Colin Selby. He was the opener. Two scoreless settings for Jackson. Gives up two runs in four and a third innings, including that home run. You had Carmen Moldesinski, David Benar from there. Closed the door with a scoreless eighth and ninth inning. And Ryan Baruki got a pair of outs out of the bullpen from there. And the former Yankee, Miguel Andujar, goes deep off of Carlos Rodon for his fourth home run season for Rodon. This looked a little bit more like the Rodon that we know and love. Did give up three runs in six and two-thirds innings, including that homer, but ten strikeouts and no walks. From there, Randy Vasquez was able to provide four outs out of the bullpen scoreless. Right now, you've got one team that is sitting north of 51% on the run line as a favorite. The LA Dodgers, as a favorite, they have covered the run line 65 different times, and they get the job done 6-1 to one against the Seattle Mariners. By the way, for the Dodgers, they have now won 91 games. All but 14 of those wins have come by multiple runs. So even when they've been an underdog, they've been able to cover the reverse run line. As for the Dodgers, trio of home runs in this one. As you had a home run number 15 of the season for Jason Hayward very early on. And then the backup catcher has not done a lot this year. And Austin Barnes got his second home run on the campaign. Up of Logan Gilbert and then Dominique Leon gives one up to James Outman. He was outman, 21st home run season as for Logan Gilbert. Gives up five runs in five innings, including those two home runs. Edward Bazzardo, two scoreless settings out of the bullpen before Dominique Leon gives up that solo home run over the course of his two innings. Meanwhile, for the LA Dodgers, they piecemealed this thing together very well. Ryan Yarbrough was the bulk guy, gave up one run and four and two-thirds innings. Kevin Stone piggybacked off of him. Three and a third inning scoreless. And Shelby Miller was the opener. He provided a scoreless inning to start things off. And it was a very rare under on the road for the Dodgers. As they have played 68.5% of their road games thus far this season. Over the total, that was a credit to their pitching. The LA Angels just continue to be in the pit of misery as of right now. They lose to the Detroit Tigers by a count of 5-3 to three as they were supposed to be getting Reed Detmers in this one. He got scratched due to an illness, so that was a little bit less than terrific as the other LA team, the Dodgers. They're 40-19 and 19 since the All-Star break, best record in the big leagues. Meanwhile, for the LA Angels, well, they're 23-36 and 36 since the All-Star break, so... That was not too terrific. He did have Randall Gritchick go deep off of Joey Wentz. 
15th home run of the campaign. Wentz was the bulk guy after Miguel Diaz. He provided a scoreless inning as the opener. Wentz gives up three runs in four and a third innings. Everyone else had his back, though, as Alex Lang is scoreless inning. Jason Foley, Tyler Holton, they combined for two scoreless innings at Jose Cicerno. Was able to get a pair of outs out of the bullpen scoreless. Meanwhile, for the LA Angels, just them trying to be able to get through this was the biggest thing. As for the Tigers, yeah, Jake Rogers go deep twice off of the bulk guy and Kenny Rosenberg. 18th and 19th home runs of the season. Jimmy Arrogate, scoreless setting as the opener. And then Jose Marte, Andrew Wants, Aaron Loop, they all provide scoreless settings, but the bulk guy, Mr. Rosenberg, uh, he was put in a tough spot, needing to go earlier than expected. Gives up those two home runs, five runs in total over the course of five innings, so could easily be a lot of sadness for the Angels. It's been a lot of sadness if you've been betting on the Padres this season, but they were able to cover all numbers with regards to the money line, run line, what have you, against the Oakland A's 10-1. They took it to them as Nick Martinez and Pedro Avila. They both went three scoreless innings apiece. Ray Kerr rounded out the final two innings, allowing a solo run along the way as Tom Cosgrove also turned a scoreless inning. Brent Rooker got his 26th home run of the season, and it was the MLB debut and a very good one for the young gun and Joe Boyle. He goes three scoreless innings and, well, oh, Boyle ruled and Ken Waldachuk sucked. For Waldachuk, he gives up six runs over the course of four innings, including home run from there, Devin Sweet. He was not sweet, giving up four runs in his inning of work, including a home run before Francisco Perez was able to turn a scoreless inning, going deep for the Padres. Juan Soto twice, six RBI, two home runs, 31st and 32nd home runs of the campaign, and one of those was in grand fashion. So a very good day for Mr. Soto. A very solid day for Twins pitching as they were able to shut out the Chicago White Sox by a count of 4-0 for the White Sox. Their 19-39 post-All-Star break record is the worst in the big leagues. As had for the Twins, Orde Polanco get his 13th home run of the season, and Edouard Julien is 14th. As for Dylan Cease, he gave up that home run to Julien, gave up three runs over the course of six innings, and then other home run was given up by Luis Pequeno. Three innings of long relief gives up a run, but nothing doing for the White Sox. And this one, Sonny Gray, seven scoreless innings. From there, Griffin Jackson, Emilio Pagan were both able to give you a scoreless inning. St. Louis Cardinals, they were able to get the job done against the Philadelphia Phillies by a count of six of five as for the Phillies, did have Alec Bohm go yard off of Giovanni Gallegos, 17th home run season. This is a Cardinals bullpen that is not great right now. Gallegos got one out and gave up that home run. Dakota Hudson, he lost three runs in five innings before Matthew Lubertor holds it down. Five outs out of the bullpen scoreless. He did have the King and John King give up a run in his inning of work, but Ryan Elsley, scoreless ninth inning to be able to turn the save in for the Cardinals. Fair of home runs in this one. Jordan Walker goes deep off of Sir Anthony Dominguez, 16th home run of the campaign, and for Taiwan Walker, he gave one up to Paul Goldschmidt, his 25th home run season for Walker. He filled seven innings, but gave up five runs, all of which were earned along the way before Sir Anthony Dominguez gives up a home run in his inning of work, and for the Phillies, they left 11 men on base in this one, so less than savory there, and speaking of less than savory, the Milwaukee Brewers, they fall to the Washington Nationals by a count of 2-1, and by the way, for the Washington Nationals, you can laugh all you want, but post-All-Star break, they're 30-30. and 30, So they've actually been able to make you some money with the way that they've been underdogs as Luis Garcia gets his eighth home run of the season. That comes off of Brandon Woodruff as this was the game that went to 11 innings, by the way. Woodruff gives up that home run in six innings. From there, the bullpen really did their part. This was not on the Brewers pitching. Obi Miller, Devin Williams, both turn a scoreless setting. Bryce Wilson, Andrew Chafin, they both give you a combined scoreless setting. And then you had the 10th inning and the 11th inning 
both pitched by Daigo Vieira. Hopefully I said that correctly. Gave up one unearned run in the 11th inning. And for the Brewers, they went 1 of 11 with Ben in scoring position as Patrick Corbin. Just two strikeouts in this one, but allows one run along the way. You had Robert Garcia to turn two scoreless innings. Hunter Harvey turned two scoreless innings. And Kyle Finnegan was able to get a scoreless inning as well to be able to get the Nats to the window. By the way, if you've bet $100 on every single Patrick Corbin start thus far this season, coming into the day on Sunday, you're up right around about $700. The reconfigured math, this according to Oddshark, if you've bet $100 on every Patrick Corbin start, you're up $1,011 this year. Only Dean Kramer, who we saw on Sunday, and Braxton Garrett, have been more profitable starting pitchers this year than Patrick Corbin. That is mind-blowing, and it is mind-blowing. I'll be following the Toronto Blue Jays have been all season long, but they get the job done against the Boston Red Sox. This by a count of 3-2, to two, and if you've been taking the unders when Toronto's been at home, you've been able to make some money, as they played right around 58.5% of their home games to the under this year for Toronto. Had Matt Chapman get a double and a triple in this game. It's Hunjin Ryu. Not long for this game, but was effective. Four and two-thirds innings scoreless. From there, Yumi Garcia along Genesis Cabrera. Combined for two innings, Cabrera gives up a run while getting two outs out of the bullpen. But Chad Green gets four outs out of the bullpen scoreless. Eric Swanson does allow a solo home run, but is able to hold it down to get the save. Rafael Devers gets his 33rd home run in the campaign. And for Nick Bavetta, solid start. Gives up two runs in six and a third innings. He did allow a home run to Dalton Varsho. 17th home run season, then Garrett Whitlock. Comes in the ninth inning, allows a Matt Chapman triple to end the game as he gave up a run while getting and out of the bullpen. Nick Robertson, he was able to turn a scoreless setting. Chris Murphy, he was able to lend a pair of outs out of the bullpen scoreless as well. You saw the Atlanta Braves get swept by the Miami Marlins on Sunday as the Marlins just completely pounded the tar out of the Braves. Currently, they're dealing with an injury to Ronald Acuna Jr. and he rested a few guys on this day and they got pounded by a count of 16-2. to As for Charlie Morton, well... Gave up six runs over the course of four and two-thirds innings, and that was not even the worst pitching that we saw in this game. Derek Rodriguez, he got six outs. He allowed eight runs, all of which were earned, including a pair of home runs. And backup infielder Nicky Lopez gave up two runs in one and a third innings, including a home run. One bright spot for the Atlanta Braves. You had Marcel Zuna get home run number 35 of the season off of Chichi Gonzalez. The team, the Braves, they went one of 13 with men in scoring position. And for the Miami Marlins, eight of 12 with men in scoring position as Ori Soler fresh off the injured list. 36th home run season, Jake Berger, 33rd home run season, Jazz Shizzle, 18th home run season, and Nick Fortes, his 16th home run of the campaign for Chichi Gonzalez. Gives up two runs in an inning, but the backup catcher, Jacob Stallings, turned to scoreless setting. JT Chargois, scoreless setting, and Ace Luz Lizardo. He goes six innings scoreless to be able to get that one in. The New York Mets, they have been one of the best under teams at home all season long. 63.5% of their home games have gone under, but this one went way over as they were able to get to Brandon Williamson and company for an 8-4 win for Williamson. Gives up three runs over the course of four innings, and things got worse when Carson Spires came into the game. He gives up five runs, three of which earned in three innings before Sam Mull turns the scoreless setting. He did have for the Reds a pair of home runs. Christian Encarnacion Strand off of Jeff Brigham, his eighth home run season, and Nick Senzel, his twelfth that comes off of Jose Quitana as Quitana. He has given up three runs or fewer in all but one of his starts for the Mets. He gives up two runs in six and two-thirds innings. From there, Drew Smith and out of the bullpen, Jeff Brigham does give up two runs in an inning, but Brooks Raley did not fall off the Raley's. He was able to get a scoreless inning. That got them to the window. The Texas Rangers have been all over the place in recent days. They had to trot out there a start from Cody Bradford, and it did not go well. The uh, Guardians are able to get a 9-2 win as Bradford gets destroyed, giving up six runs 
over the course of three innings, including home run. From there, you had Jordan Latz, the former 2016 first-round pick in two scoreless settings, and Jonathan Hernandez. He filled three innings. He gave up along the way three runs for the Texas Rangers. They left nine men on base. Got a good start out of Gavin Williams for the Guardians, giving up one run over the course of six innings. From there, Xavion Curry and Matt Moore both turn a squirrel, sending Nick Sandlin allows a run and an inning, and Jose Ramirez did go deep off of Mr. Bradford for home run number 24 of the campaign. We saw the Houston Astros avoid the sweep at the hands of the Kansas City Royals. We'll talk a little bit more about them with Patrick Creighton in segment number two, seven to one. The Astros able to get it done from Rivaldez. Looks like he's rounding back in a form. One honor run, give it up over the course of seven innings for Framber Valdez. Really had his struggles post-All-Star break, but now he has given up three earned runs or fewer in each out of his last four starts. Kendall Graveman, Brian DeBrave from there, both give a squirrel setting in. A pair of home runs off of Jordan Lyles were the difference as you had Jordan Alvarez get his 28th home run season and Jake Myers get his 10th home run season for Lyles. He fills six innings, giving up four runs, all which were earned, including a pair of home runs. And for Jackson Coward, Tucker Davidson, Brad Keller, they all give you a squirrel setting. But for Jordan Lyles, the team... It's now 5-24 and 24 in his starts this far this season. And I was mentioning how Patrick Corbin is so profitable for you. If you bet $100 on every Jordan Lyles start on the money line this year, you're down $1,540. So the next least profitable pitcher, Lucas Giolito, at minus $1,285 if you place $100 on the money line in every one of his starts. So it's been a less than a great season, to say the least, for him and for the San Francisco Giants. It's been less than a great second half of the season for their offense, but they got it going in this one. They win against the Colorado Rockies by a count of 11 to 10. And you laid the Giants' run line. This is just brutal. They were up by a count of 9 to 0 in the sixth inning, and they somehow, someway, don't cover the run line because gave up a whole bunch of runs in this one. They gave up, I believe it was, a five spot in the sixth inning and then a four spot in the ninth. But with San Francisco Giants, Shamanea, halfway decent. Three runs, two of which earned, given up in five and a third innings. That'll play at Coors. Camilo Duvall, he gave up four runs, only one of which was earned. There were a trio of errors. One committed by Shamanea, one committed by John Brebbia, one committed by Camilo Duvall. All the errors were caused by pitchers, and they don't get credited with these runs. They should be stuck with them. So that's my rant there. But John Brebbia gives up two runs in two-thirds of an inning. You had both of the Rogers brothers come on this one. As for Tyler Rogers, he allowed a run in an inning. Meanwhile, Taylor Rogers got the final out of the game scoreless. Meanwhile, Luke Jackson, scoreless inning of his own. And for the San Francisco Giants, despite scoring 11 runs, just one home run in this one. Brandon Crawford, his seventh home run season. That comes off of Matt Cook as Chris Flexen. Well, his ERA is flexing up even more. Four runs surrendered in five and a third innings. That actually lowered it to a 719. From there, Matt Cook gives up five runs in a third of an inning. You had Matt Carasini get a pair of outs out of the bullpen scoreless. You also had Noah Davis give you a scoreless inning. And Evan Justice, he comes in, he allows two runs in two-thirds of an inning. Actually was two scoreless innings from Noah Davis. And then on Sunday Night Baseball, the Arizona Diamondbacks, they were able to get the job done against the Chicago Cubs by a count of six to two as this was not the start that they were looking for from Mr. Jordan Wicks. He allowed three runs in the first inning. Settled down from there to fill four and a third innings, giving up those three runs. And then from there, Jose Quas, who's been quite good since he got to Chicago. He allowed a home run. Two runs in total over the course of one and a third innings, allowing a home run to Quito Marte of the Marte Parte. 23rd home run of the campaign. From there, you did have Brack Boxberger get you four outs of the bullpen scoreless. You also got an out 
from Luke Little and Daniel Palencia. He gives up a run in two-thirds of an inning. Meanwhile, for the Cubs, just not a lot doing an offense. One of eight with men in scoring position as this was a very solid showing from the bullpen. Ryan Nelson only fills three and a third innings, gives up both runs in this game before you had Miguel Castro, Ryan Thompson, both lend a scoreless inning. Ben Jarvis, two scoreless innings, and Luis Frias was able to come up with one and two-thirds innings scoreless. And if you're looking at the trends of Major League Baseball right now, the over has a very slim lead on unders as we've seen 1,080 overs to 1,077 unders. So 50.1% of games are going over the total with favorites, hitting at about 57.8%. 1,287 wins for favorites, 942 losses. And if you're looking at the run line for these favorites, 326 in total have been unable to cover minus one and a half. Meanwhile, over the last three days, favorites have had a little bit of an issue. 232 and 181 straight up, hitting at just over 56%. Meanwhile, among these favorites, we have seen 55 in total not be able to cover the run line. The over in this time span, hitting at 56%. 224 overs, 176 unders, and extra innings have really been costing a lot of unders as we have seen 39 games have went to extra innings over the last three days go over the total. We really saw that this weekend and over the last seven days, just in the last seven days, 12 games have went over in extra innings as the over and the under are both 48 and 48 over the last seven days. So things have been a little bit ironed out there with favorites going 53 and 46, only about 54% of games going way of the favorite on the money line. And among these 53 favorites, only 34 have covered minus one and a half. So that's what we're seeing Major League Baseball right now. And that's what we all got on Sunday. Now let's take a look at what is a hot and heavy American League playoff picture, the AL West in general as well with our man from the great city of Houston. Patrick Crane, he does great work with the show Late Hits, which you're able to find 6 to 8 p.m. Central on ESPN 97.5 out there. Does some great work with Sports Map Radio as well. And he joins me next right here on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Craig Peterson, now a part of the VEASAN Family Podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. We're back here lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It is great to be joined by this man. As if you're out there in the great city of Houston, you're able to hear this man weekly from 6 to 8 p.m. Central Time. as over on ESPN 97.5 and that is the show Late Hits with Patrick Crane. He does a great job on that front. You're able to catch him occasionally on Sports Map Radio as well. That's where you're able to catch a Greg Peterson experience as well. So great that we've got a little bit of a coming together there as Patrick does an amazing job. Take a look at everything with regards to the Houston market. But on top of that, 
does a great job on the national landscape as well, taking a look at all those season teams. And on top of that, I know that this is a man that spent some time out there in the great state of New York as well. So well-traveled man and one that you're able to catch on the old X at P Creighton, the number one, that's letter P. And then Creighton, just like the Creighton Blue Jays, and then the number one. And Patrick, always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Brilliant. That's like the greatest introduction I've ever gotten in my entire life. That was better than my wedding. That was amazing. <laughs> I appreciate you. I saw that the check was in the mail, so we went all out on that one. But a team that is also very much going all out right now, the Houston Astros, a team that last year it was really the pitching that was able to get them to the World Series. And this year, I do feel like it's been a little bit of a reversal because just taking a look at the American League since the beginning of the month of June, they have been the highest scoring team in the entirety of the American League. And with this really tight American League West and frankly, this really entire tight American League playoff race in general, how do you gauge Houston Astros? going into these final two weeks of the regular season. If we took all of the knowledge of the history that we have of these teams out of the equation and just looked at them in the box of this year, the Astros, the Rangers, and the Mariners, you would say none of these guys want to win the division. Every time one of them looks like they're about to take control in the division, they just like vomit all over themselves. And Well, the Astros have vomited all over themselves this week. They lost two of three at home to the Oakland A's. They lost two of three in Kansas City to the Royals, who were actually worse than the Oakland A's. And somehow, someway, they still lead the division. This shouldn't even be possible. Except, well, the Rangers have lost three in a row. The Mariners have lost two in a row, and they're down to the Dodgers again. Nobody wants to win the division. Nobody wants to put their foot down and be like, this is mine. With that being said, well, you know, the Astros are the team, you know, six straight ALCS appearances. Been to four of the last six World Series, won two of them. The Rangers, well, they haven't won diddly in years. The Mariners, they can't get out of the wild card round. You would say, well, the Astros certainly have the experience and the history that would say they should win this division. But, man, I tell you, if you wanted to watch three teams and see how many tums you could pop watching these games, you could down a bottle a night. Uh, it has been absolutely incredible. And I mean, with the Rangers, I think that there's a little bit of a case to be made that with the injuries, Nathan Valdi has not pitched like north of four innings ever since he has come back. And it's been a little bit of an issue, but for the Houston Astros, it's been a little bit more befuddling, in my opinion, because I mean, about a month, month and a half ago is when they got back to full staff, and it's not really the offense that's laying them down. Jordan Alvarez has been terrific. Jose Altuve has been terrific. Michael Brantley is getting back to the fold, and you're referencing that series against the Royals. Certainly, it wasn't due to the fact that they weren't inning at the plate. How big of a question mark are some of these pitchers right now for the Astros? Because that's what I think is the main issue for this team. The beginning of the year, I said the one thing that could probably derail the Astros, the one thing would be if they had a rash of injuries to the starting rotation. Because they've got a lot of guys from the beginning of the year, they needed workload management. The only guy at the beginning of the year that you were not looking at and saying, I've got to watch this guy's innings was from Valdez. He's the only guy. And then Lancer Colors doesn't even make it out of spring training. He's out for the year. Louis Garcia gave him, what, one start? He's out for the year. Jose Urquidy missed three and a half months. And since he's been back, he hasn't been able to get, you know, really through like three innings. At this point, he's in the bullpen. But Hunter Brown, who threw a career high in innings last year and then had the shortest offseason of his career, he has been very inconsistent. Christian Javier is fighting through the worst season of his career after a career high in innings, a short offseason, and 
then the WBC. So they've had a lot of a lot of issues with the pitching. The bullpen was extremely taxed in the first half of the year. We've seen some wear on that. Like Phil Maton was great the first half of the year, but they burned him out and he wound up going on the IL and he really hasn't regained his form. Rafael Montero early in the year couldn't get you or me out. Probably would have gave up homers to us because he kept proving them <laughs> down the plate. He's been better of late. After Neris, Brian Abreu, those guys have been terrific. They got sub two ERAs. Ryan Presley has not been as consistent as you would expect him to be. Look, they had a historic bullpen last year. There was no way they were going to repeat that. But they've had some more ups and downs this year than you would have thought. Getting Justin Verlander, even though Verlander was never going to pitch the way he pitched last year. And that was just never going to happen. But even the current version of Verlander has been a huge boost for this team because there are so many guys who are struggling with a second year of heavier workloads than they've ever had. J.P. France is in uncharted territory. Number one, he's never pitched in the majors. Number two, he's now hit career high in innings. You have no idea what you're getting from J.P. France. This is a guy who averaged nearly five walks per nine in the minors, but has been much better in the majors overall. But every now and then you see him, oh, four walks, five walks. What the heck's going on with J.P. France? All of a sudden he can't find the plate. For a team, as you mentioned, this team has won on pitching and defense for, you know, a lot of this, you know, what they call the golden age of Astros baseball. They certainly won on pitching and defense last year when they were the best starting pitching. They were the best bullpen. They were a tremendous defensive team. But you look at what they are this year. They're 10th in ERA. They're not the best pitching team. And really, if you want to start from June 1st, I guarantee you they are not in the top half of the league. They have had some rough months with the pitching from June on. A lot of struggles. Framber Valdez finally getting back into form. They're hoping that Christian Javier is finally starting to find it. You know, he's been changing up the way. He's a guy who's very heavily relying on a fastball, been going more to the breaking ball lately. His velocity on his fastball, really on all his pitches, but especially his fastball, has been down all season long after coming out of the WBC. The WBC obviously is an issue for pitchers. Man, thank God they got Fromber Valdez not to pitch in the WBC because he was going to. Could you imagine if Fromber had arm issues from pitching in the WBC? Too many pitchers seem to pitch in the WBC, come out, and they've got arm issues. They have diminished velocity. They've got diminished command. There's injuries. Just the number of guys, they ramp up too fast. They treat it like it's the Olympics, and then their arms can't handle it. You know, you saw it with Garcia. You see it with Javi. You see it with Lance Lynn. And there's so – you just – Point your finger at the guys who were starters in the WBC. They're, most of the guys are not having good years. They're hurt. Their velocity is off. It's something baseball really needs to address because otherwise the teams are going to address it, and that's going to impact how good the WBC is. But back to as far as you know, the pitching, the Astros pitching hasn't been as great. And you mentioned second half of the season. The Astros are the highest scoring team in the league. They went from eighth in the American League to third in scoring because since the break – Really, since the return of Jordan Alvarez and Jose Altuve, and now with Michael Brantley back, their offense, for the most part, has been banging. And this is a team that wins with offense 
more than it does with pitching. They're trying to hold you down just enough that they can outscore you. I think you and I see that. I'm not so sure the manager sees that, though. Yeah, it has been really interesting to take a look on that front and just ask the Mets how badly they were hurt by the WBC as well. That wasn't necessarily due to arm fatigue or anything like that, just a little bit of a fluke thing with Edwin Diaz. But that was certainly a derailer for them as well as joining me on the show. We do have Patrick Green. does great work over at ESPN 97.5 out there in Houston, and you were mentioning how big of a godsend Justin Verlander has been for the Astros, and ironically enough, we're doing this podcast, and Justin Verlander is going to be the man that is going to be on the mound on Monday against the Baltimore Orioles, and I'm not sure how you view this series for Houston along with game one of this series, with the Astros being a slight favorite about minus 140, minus 145 against the Orioles in that game, number one. But I think that this is a pretty crucial series because after this, the Astros, they better take care of business against the Kansas City Royals or else then we really have some issues. But I take a look at the stretch run for the Mariners and the Rangers, and the Mariners are going to have that one series against the Astros. But with the Mariners, they are going to be playing against the Texas Rangers for six, if not seven games towards back half the season. And I really look at that series and, that just cluster of series between those two. And that's sort of a loser leave town six game cluster that they're going to be playing against each other. But I really think that if the Astros can make a statement here against the Orioles, take two of three, that would put them in a nice driver's seat with regards to the division. I don't know what it is, but it seems like the Astros play seems to reflect their opponent. They play teams they should knock the snot out of, and it's like they forget to show up. You know, then they'll go face the team they're supposed to that they're supposed to struggle with a top team, and they show up and they look like the Astros again. That may play into effect here, and we might see the the better version of the Houston Astros against the Orioles. The Orioles and the Rays now have both clinched already. The Astros getting very close to clinching a spot, but and the Orioles. They get the Royals, I think the Mariners, before a couple with the D-backs. The Mariners and the Rangers have a home-and-home against each other, sandwiched around that series between the Astros and the Mariners. This Mariners stretch where they got to play the Rangers, the Astros, and the Rangers is absolutely brutal at the end of the year, but they control their own destiny as a result. If the Mariners can have a hot streak, they're probably going to knock the Rangers out and push themselves in. If they get a really hot streak, they could potentially overtake the Astros in the division. If the Astros handle, like you said, two or three against the against the Orioles. They've probably put enough distance behind themselves that if they don't let them, that if they don't get swept by the Mariners, that they're probably going to take the division, and the Mariners will have to, you know, find a way to get through the wild card. If the Astros somehow show up against the Mariners, which they haven't done this year, the Astros have kicked the Rangers' tails, but the Mariners have owned them this year. In complete opposite to past years. If they wind up taking two or three from the Mariners, the Mariners are going to be scuffling because now it's on the line for them. This last week, well, week and a half here, this is going to be must-watch TV baseball in the AL West because three teams are all bundled up together and they're going to play each other. This series for the Astros and the Orioles, like you said, this is an important series for them. If they can handle their business against the Orioles, they will probably have enough of a cushion to squeeze through in the division. I do think that that is going to be so crucial. Just do a solid job in this series against the Orioles. Being able to perhaps take two of three from the Seattle Mariners should be able to give the Astros the upper hand. But as we've been alluding to, that is much easier said than done for all three of these teams 
when it comes to the division. And I'm not sure how you view things right now, Patrick, but with regards to that AOS, it is very much a three-team tango. But I do think that the Seattle Mariners, certainly because, for one, they're going to be playing against the Astros, and two, they're more healthy. They are the biggest threat to the Astros right now. I'm not sure if you'd agree slash disagree, but if I'm looking at a team from the AOS among those three that might miss the playoffs, I just look at the Rangers right now with the way that they've been dealing with all those injuries with Josh Young, Adolis Garcia, along with Max Scherzer being out of the fold. I just don't think that they have the horses to be able to finish. I think that they have these injuries happening to them at the wrong time this year. And when it comes to the Mariners and the Astros, I think we should be seeing both in the playoffs, just a matter of which team wins the division. You know, Greg, I give a lot of credit to Bruce Bochy because the Rangers were left for dead after the Astros absolutely beat them from pillar to post in their own building. I mean, that was just brutal brutal destruction of the Rangers by the Astros at Arlington a week ago. Then they lost Max Scherzer, and you're like, all right, the Rangers are done. They've got nothing. They go up to Toronto, and they kick the Blue Jays' ass. It's like, well, where did that come from? Oh, then they came back, and they, you know, here they are getting smoked. It is very difficult in this division. And, and as far to your point as, you know, the Mariners being the biggest threat to the Astros, the Mariners aren't just the biggest threat to the Astros in the division. They're the biggest threat to the Astros in the American League. The Astros match up well with the Rays. They match up well with the Twins. They've smashed the Rangers. They've matched up pretty well with the Orioles. You know, their biggest weakness is, is A, their starting rotation, but B, earlier in the season, the Astros got to their bullpen, which not a lot of teams have gotten to. The Astros have gotten to that bullpen. The Mariners are the best pitching team in baseball this year, and they have given the Astros lineup fits. Now, I haven't necessarily gotten to face the current iteration of it, but still, they have given the Astros the most problems when it comes to what they can do pitching-wise, bullpen-wise, with their rotation. The Mariners are probably the team, if you ask me who's the one team in the American League that could knock the Astros out of the postseason from the AL, it's the Mariners. Even though the Astros swept the Mariners last year, every single one of those games was like white knuckle, edge of your seat. Every one of them was super tight. You know, the Astros are fortunate enough, they, they took all three of those games with late-ending heroics each time. But this Mariners team, they pitched great. They seem to have the Astros numbered this year. They are the most dangerous team to the Astros as far as getting through the American League from any division. I do think that if they square off in the postseason, I think that we'd be looking at another great series, even though the Astros took that series. I mean, if the Mariners don't put Robbie Ray in to face Jordan Alvarez, which who could have seen that blowing up at their face? Yeah, that might have been a little bit different as well. But with regards to the American League, because you just alluded to the Mariners being the biggest threat to the Astros, as Patrick Creighton, who does great work over at ESPN 97.5, is joining me on the baseball betting show. I do think that it is very much a wide-open American League. Now, we could see anything happen in both leagues. I mean, how many times haven't we seen the Dodgers have the best record in the National League get swept out of the postseason and are not making it to the World Series? We have seen that time and time again, but I really think the intrigue is out there in the American League because in the National League, I feel like the Braves are that clear one, the Dodgers are that clear two, and then everyone else is fighting for three. Meanwhile, in the American League, you were bringing up the Rays, the Orioles, the Astros, the Mariners, 
It just feels like all these teams are tightly knit together, and it becomes a matchup-by-matchup situation because I do feel like all these teams have their strengths, they have their weaknesses, and I do think that it could be anyone's American League this year. You have to be impressed with what the Orioles have done, how big a jump they've made this year. That's kind of why I'm not fully sold on the Orioles. They've made such a jump this year. The Rays are another team like the Astros, like the Rangers, who have had tons of injuries they've had to deal with. Yet there they are still technically two games back uh, of the Orioles in the AL East. The Rays are a very formidable team. Whether the Rangers or the Mariners or the Blue Jays, whichever two teams of those three make it in, those teams are dangerous. The Rangers despite the fact that their bullpen is the ultimate crapshoot, their lineup, they can mash anybody. They're going to get Josh Young back soon. They've really been missing him. They're going to get him back soon. They hope they're going to get Adolis Garcia back, but I don't I don't know if that's really going to happen. But just getting Young back would be a huge boost for them. They mash. The Mariners don't score that much. Man, it's tough to score on them. The Blue Jays are a really intriguing team to me because sometimes you look at them and you're like, all right, there's so much power in this lineup. You can't keep them in the yard. You can't beat them. And they've pitched a lot better than I think people realize that they've pitched. I mean, they've only given up 20 more runs than Tampa Bay has given up this year. And Tampa is the best pitching team in the league uh, as far as runs allowed. The Blue Jays have actually pitched really well, and they've done it without Alec Manoa, who was an all-star last year, who I really wonder if the workload jumps that he's had have kind of messed with his arm. Because he's a young guy who went from like 17 innings pitched to like 112 to 194. I mean, those are obscene jumps. That's like franchise malpractice to have a guy 24, 25 years old making those kind of jumps year over year over year and thinking his arm's not going to fall off. So not surprised that Manoa's having issues. There is definitely some organizational finger pointing that needs to be done of who thought this was a good idea. You see what the Astros are dealing with as far as guys making jumps year over year. With younger pitchers, that is something to worry about their arm fatigue. People sometimes think having a fatigued arm means, oh, you skip a start and you're fine. No, your fatigued arm might not be unfatigued for a month, might not be unfatigued for two months. I don't think people understand the difference between like having like legitimate arm fatigue versus I am physically tired. That really seems to have been an issue with Alec Manoa, but the Blue Jays have pitched really well. If they get hot, they are a threat to take down whoever they're playing. Well, I don't know that it's wide open, but I do think that every team that's in the mix probably outside of the Twins, every team that's in the mix has a shot to take down another team. So if that is the definition of wide open, then I'm going to agree with you, wide open. Yep, I do think so as well. And hey, I will say, I like what I've seen out of the Twins, but they need to prove it in the postseason at some point before I can buy in there, as it has been a just house of horrors the month of October for the Minnesota Twins for the past two decades or so. So we shall see what happens there. And Patrick, I know you're doing a great job following the great game of baseball, but on top of that, you're out there in Houston taking a look at the Texans. I know that things are going to be getting ramped up with regards to basketball as well, both on the college and the pro front, and you do a great job with a wide variety of things over there at ESPN 97.5 along Sports Map Radio. So all the good people at home know what's on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. All right, that's a late hit. ESPN 97.5 now 8 to 10 Central Time, 8 to 10 p.m. Central Time. 
ESPN 97.5. Go so follow me on Twitter at pcreighton1. Patrick does an amazing job taking a look at so many things, and it was great to be able to get him on the podcast today. He'll have a front row seat to what we're going to be getting these final two weeks of the regular season in the American League and the American League West. So big thanks, Patrick, for joining me on the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this Baseball Monday as we catch them all. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. 
Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. Everybody here love you, Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It is always great to be joined by Patrick Gray. He does excellent work out there in the great city of Houston covering all the teams that are over there in the local area. I know that he does a great job with his show on 97.5 ESPN in Houston called Late Hits. So covers a little bit of everything from Houston Texans to the Astros and 
every single time he joins this podcast. One's tremendous insight. So big thanks, Patrick, for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this Baseball Monday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at unit underscore 81. We are going to be going in the last second station, or this is where we go with the National League games first. Then the American League games, any interleague games, those are going to be at the bottom. That'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. So, without further ado, let's dive in on this first game. It is 951-952 on the bang board. The New York Mets hit the road. They're facing off against the Miami Marlins. As Edward Cabrera goes for Miami, and Jose Buto is on the bump for the Metropolitan. So, on this game is 8.5, unders between minus 110 to a minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 105 to a minus 110 with Miami. Right between minus 155 to minus 165 favorites, and we're between plus 136 and plus 145 is your number on the Metropolitans. And I did need at least a plus 140 to be able to take a shot on the Mets, and we have been able to get there. I just can't trust an Edward Cabrera, and I do think that the Miami Marlins got a little bit overvalued here because of what they were able to do over the weekend. And you give them credit where credit is due. It's not easy to be able to sweep the Braves, but. Very clear that the Atlanta Braves, without Ronald Acuna Jr., with having some questionable pitching out there, they were trying to rest some guys during that series. And Fredward Cabrera, the reason why I can't trust him, it's this stat. 6.3 walks per nine innings. He does a good job of being able to get strikeouts. 11 strikeouts per nine innings. That's pretty solid. But, yeah, this is a little bit of a rough situation here. And with the Miami Marlins, they've been about a league average bullpen all season long. The David Robertson acquisition from, ironically enough, the New York Mets has not really panned out for them. They have been able to have someone like a Andrew Nardi, Tanner Scott, guys like this. They've been relatively solid, but Steve Nokert has been having a little bit of a rough go of it. So you do have your situation there, which is a little bit less than savory. Meanwhile, you take a look at this Mets lineup and they actually hit right around about 15 points higher with regards to their batting average when they are on the road rather than when they are at home. You've got... Plenty of guys that are able to go yard. Pete Alonso still giving you right around about 45 home runs a season despite being a little bit injured and being a little bit up and down with the way that he's able to get on base. Brandon Nimmo has turned into a little bit more of a power error of 23 home runs, still giving you north of a 350 on base. The biggest thing for the Mets is, well, you've got those guys at the top that have been able to do a very rock-solid job. The bottom of the lineup has been really rough with the guys like Jonathan Aruz, Tim LaCastro, even Francisco Alvarez, though he has north of 20 home runs. These guys hanging at 225 or less, giving you a sub-300 on base. Those have been really killers for the team. And with Jose Buto, when it comes to him, I mean, is this guy the most impressive pitcher in the world? No, but at the same time, I've seen a little bit of him, and I don't feel overly awful about him. Once again, going back to Edward Cabrera and the fact that he just walks everyone on the face of planet Earth with Buto. He's got similar issues as well. He has been giving up right around 6.2 walks per nine innings this far this season. If you go back to his minor league numbers, he was posting up well north of a 5 ERA. He was getting more like 8 strikeouts of 5 walks per nine innings, but I think that these guys are a little bit more comparable with Buto in his, I guess you got second stands at the big league level. He's gotten three starts since the middle of August. He has given up three runs or fewer in all three of his appearances. So I do think that this is a number that's a little bit out of whack with the Miami Marlins. You've had Luis Rise starting to pick it up once again at three home runs in that series against the Atlanta. 
Atlanta Braves. Jake Berger has been able to do a nice job being able to hit north of a 300 ever since he's gotten to Miami, but you are without Ore Soler. Brian De La Cruz, guys like this being able to hit for about a 260. De La Cruz hovering right around about 19 to 20 home runs have been nice for the team. And while the Miami Marlins are able to get on, they just have not been able to drive in these runs all season long. And they're one run win magic. They are 29 and 12 in one run games this season. That can't last forever. So I do take a look at this spot. And at plus 140 or higher, I'm willing to dive in on the Mets. And I did set my toll at an 8.3 because the Mets are a little bit of an all or nothing offense. So going to be taking a look at the under one of the more pitcher-friendly ballparks out there in the big leagues in Miami, and I'm going to be taking a look at the bets at a plus 140 or greater. 953 and 954 is a DK Network right pick. You've got the Philadelphia Phillies on the road going up against the Atlanta Braves. Kyle Wright hopes to be Mr. Wright for the Bravos, and Zach Whelan and Dylan Wheeler is on the bump for the Phillies. Phillies are a slight underdog. Find them in between minus 104 to a plus 105. Anywhere between minus 113 to minus 125 is your number on Atlanta. 9 to 9.5 is the total on the 9. The over is minus 120, and the under is even. And on the 9.5, under is anywhere between minus 115 to a minus 120, and the over is anywhere between even and minus 105. And my right up pick is going to be on the Philadelphia Phillies on the money line. I think that this is a classic case of wrong team favored. I said the Philadelphia Phillies at a minus 114. This Atlanta Braves team over the weekend did not look the same with Ronald Acuna Jr. being out of the fold and and if Ronald Acuna Jr. does play, you got to figure that he's going to be a little bit limited. He's the odds-on favorite to win MVP, but he's dealing with a little bit of a calf issue. And with the Atlanta Braves having already salted away the division, this is a Braves team that we can expect the next two weeks. They're going to be getting these guys a little bit of rest. We certainly saw that on Sunday. And on Sunday, well, it's a little bit more of a getaway day as well. And even with that, you still have Matt Olson, Marcel Zuna, Austin Riley, along with Ozzy Albies. I'll give you at least 30 home runs as far of the season, so by no means is it like some cupcake lineup or anything like that. Heck, Eddie Rosario's like a platoon outfielder has 20 plus home runs. He's been hanging north for 260, so I mean, yeah, you're still dealing with all those Atlanta Braves guys, but at the same time, I do think that there is a clear pitching advantage for the Philadelphia Phillies with Zach Wheeler coming off of a very rough start against this same Atlanta Braves team. He allowed six runs. The Braves won that game by a count of seven to six, but if you do take a look at Zach Wheeler and and the advanced numbers, it indicates that he should be in for a lot of positivity here in the back half of the season into the postseason. 3.70 ERA, but he's getting 10.1 strikeouts to about 1.8 walks per nine innings, one home run surrender per nine innings, 3.17 fielding dependent, has been a little bit unlucky on balls and play and matter of circumstance. Going up against someone in Kyle Raidu, he's made just five total pitching appearances this season. He made his first one since late April, early May in the series that these two teams played a week ago on September 11th. He was the victim of a 7-5 loss as he gave up six runs in three innings. He's got a fielding independent more round of 450, but 740 ADRA. He's been giving up five walks per nine innings. Just has not looked sharp all season long. He's been dealing with a plethora of injuries and with the Philadelphia Phillies as well. They're going to be able to match what the Atlanta Braves are able to do in the bullpen. Overall for the season, the Atlanta Braves have been really the number one slash number two team in the National League with regards to bullpen area. The Brewers have actually really risen up with that regard, but if you take a look since the beginning of the month of August, you do have an Atlanta Braves team that ranks ninth in the big leagues with regards to bullpen area. The Phillies are fifth. With Jose Alvarado back in full, that provides someone that's able to give you a sub-three ERA. Gotten great 
value out of Jeff Hoffman thus far this season. Matt Strom, they're able to give you sub-350 ERA. Greg Kimbrell sometimes can have his ups and downs, but all in all, has been solid. And for the Atlanta Braves, certainly the likes of Rossio Iglesias, Kirby Yates giving you a sub-3-5 ERA have been solid. Michael Tonkin has been a little bit all over the place, but for the Braves, you got to figure that attrition might be getting to this bullpen as well. They've had their starter go five innings or fewer in five out of the last six games as well. And since August 2nd, the Philadelphia Phillies lead the league in terms of home runs per game. The Atlanta Braves are very close second, and Braves are number one in that time span with regards to runs per game in the National League. The Phillies are number two, but been very impressed by what this Phillies lineup has been able to do. Trey Turner entering into that series against the St. Louis Cardinals. He had 11 home runs over the course of 15 games. Ever since that random standing ovation a month ago, he has been one of the best players in all of baseball. You've got Kyle Schwarber, who's been able to pound out 43-plus home runs this season. He just continues to do it. Nick Castellanos, he's approaching 100 RBI. He's been able to give you 20-plus home runs. He's hitting for about a 275. Bryson Sott, Alec Bohm, Bryce Harper, I'll give you between about a 285 to about a 295 average. Boom down to about about a 280. But on all, these guys are doing a solid job. And for Bryce Harper, through the first 58 games of the season, he had just three home runs this season. He has got 14 home runs over the course of his last 57. So he's really been able to pick it up on that front. I think that this is a very clear pitching mismatch between Wheeler and Wright. I'm going to be willing to ride it with this one. Hopefully we could extend the streak. So DK Network right a pick. That is going to be on the Philadelphia Phillies on the money line. I think that this is a classic case of wrong team favorite. And when it comes to this total, I set mine at a 9.2. I do think that Wheeler is still going to give up a few runs in this spot. The only nine that I'm seeing is that DraftKings. I'm out here in lovely Las Vegas. I don't have access to that. I have access to only 9.5. So at the current 9.5, looking at the under and looking with the write-up pick at the Phillies on the money line. 9.55, 9.56 on the main board. The Milwaukee Brewers are on the road facing off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Wayno, Adam Wainwright is on the bump for St. Louis. Freddie Peralta is on the bump for the Brewers. And the Brewers are between minus 162 to minus 170 favorites. Any between plus 140 and plus 152 is your number on St. Louis. 8.5 to 9 is the total on the 8.5. Over is minus 120. The unders even on the 9. The over and the under are both at minus 110. Did set my total at 9.3. Going to be taking a look at the over. Certainly, I'm not looking at the over due to Freddie Peralta. Freddie Peralta has had a really nice second half of the season because, I mean, there was a time that I was really fading Freddie Peralta. I remember during the early part of the season, I was like, ah, I've written up like Freddie Peralta four times and he's let me down all four times. He has come up aces for me the last few times. I've written him up, but for Freddie Peralta, the last time he gave up more than three runs at a start, you have to go all the way back to July 21st, and his last nine starts in this time span. He has been posting up a 201 ERA, 203 fielding independent while getting north of 12 strikeouts per nine innings. He has been incredible, and Adam Wainwright has not been incredible. Now, for Wainwright, he has one win away from 200 for his career because he actually delivered a halfway decent start against Baltimore. Now, he got very lucky in that one. He went five innings. He walked three and seven hits surrendered, and he just traded a whole bunch of men on base, and I don't think that he's going to be quite as lucky as right now. For Adam Wainwright, he has made 20 starts this far this season. He has given up three-plus runs in 17 of them. The fielding independent is a 620. He's giving up two home runs, 3.7 walks for nine innings, and he's getting five strikeouts for nine innings, and regrettably for him, this is a Milwaukee Brewers team that they've got a lot of familiarity with Adam Wayne right now. Are the Brewers really knocking your socks off with regards to their offense? 
No, they've had their issues, but I mean, it's been better ever since the trade deadline, since picking up Mark Canna, someone that has been able to provide about a 3-6 year or so on base this season. It's given them a little bit more. Sal Freelich, Andrew Marisario, these are two guys that have been able to move the line, giving you at least a 335 on base. You've got William Adamas, Christian Yelich, and William Contreras, all being able to give you at least 16 home runs as well. Adamas leads the way with 24, and him getting on base more frequently has led to the Brewers being a bit more effective on offense. Last 30 days, about a 363 on base. That is massive. Christian Yelich has been dealing with his ailments. Last few days, he has been dealing with a little bit of a back injury. He was able to return for a game or two in that series against Washington, so you do want to be mindful there. But with this Brewers team, they are now number one in the National League with regards to bullpen ERA this season as you've had Joel Piamps, Abner Uribe, Devin Williams, a closer, along with Hobie Milner, all being able to give you a sub-250 ERA for the Cardinals. You just don't have that. You've had Ryan Helsley be able to supply a sub-3 ERA when he has been out there on the field. They've had a tough time keeping him healthy all season long. And pretty much everyone else, these schlubs like Matthew Libertor, Andre Pallanti, Giovanni Gallegos, Jacob Barnes, John King. You just go down the list of guys providing at least a 4 ERA. It is completely rampant. So I do think that the Brewers should be able to go out dominate this one. I think that Freddie Peralta is once again going to be able to turn a nice start. But the Brewers push the total over just because they get to Adam Wainwright. With regards to this run line, you're currently finding it at a minus 105 to even money with the Brewers. I was one to lay up to a minus 115. So going to be looking at the Brewers on the run line. You're at a 9. Going to be taking a look at the over as well. 957, 958 on the banging board. It is the Colorado Rockies on the road. Facing off against the Slam Diego Padres. Michael Waka goes for the Padres, and it is to be determined who is going to be on the bump for the Rockies. So this is a game that is presently off the board, and right now through the grapevine, I've been hearing that Ty Block might be able to make this start, and if you get Mr. Block against Waka, I set the Padres minus 247 on the money line. I'd be willing to lay up to a minus 128 with regards to this run line as well. For Ty Block, I was talking about the lack of strikeouts that you're seeing with Adam Wainwright. The one guy that might be on par with he, along with the professor and Kyle Hendricks, might be Ty Block because he's not getting any swings and misses this year. 5.3 strikeouts per nine innings, giving up about two and a half walks per nine innings, 464 ERA, but I think that there's a rude awakening coming in from 504 Fielding Independent. When you give up as much contact as Block does, and to his credit, he has now been able to get four plus strikeouts in four out of his last five games, but still, you've got to be having your question marks with regards to Mr. Block and how lucky he can remain with regards to balls in play. And for Block, it's not even like he does a better job on the road than he does at home. As a matter of fact, on the road, he's giving up darn near two home runs for 9 innings. So 454 ERA, he's been lucky that a lot of these have been solo shots, but that's something that you do want to be highlighting. Meanwhile, for Michael Walker, he's been able to do a solid job all season long. He's been a little bit lucky on balls in play as well. If you take a look at the ERA, it does not match up with the fielding dependent. 343 ERA, 416 fielding dependent with Mr. Waka. The opponents are hitting about a 268 on balls in play against him this season for his career. That's more around a 298, and he is coming off of getting just completely thrashed against the LA Dodgers. But let's go what it is. The LA Dodgers, they thrash just about everyone. So he is in very good company on that front. And for the Padres, this bullpen has been right around league average for the entirety of the season and really since the beginning of the month of August. And I do like what I've been seeing 
uh, Josh Hader all season long. You've been able to get a little bit more out of Luis Garcia as well. Luis Garcia had a terrible start to the season, but take a look at what he's done over the last three days. He has a lot as many runs as myself in 11 appearances. So that has been a nice little tick up for the same time Cosgrove. He's able to give you a sub-2 ERM for the Colorado Rockies since the beginning of the month of August. His bullpen ERA is right around 7. It's just really, really bad. Daniel Bard is currently out of the full because he was just completely incompetent in the second half of the season. You have seen Justin Lawrence really start to act up as well. Was very good in the front half of the season, but he, along with Jake Bird, are both supplying north of a 6 ERA ever since the All-Star break. Tyler Kinley, about a 5-6 ERA ever since the All-Star break. Now you're looking to someone like an Evan Justice, who's got a 6.75 ERA. It's bad. And for the Colorado Rockies, I will say, the lineup has been a little bit better on the road than they have been in past years. Last year, they were averaging 2.99 runs per game on the road. More like 3.7 runs per game this season. And you do have back in the full pair of guys that you've been missing for a long time in Charlie Blackman, along with Chris Bryant. Good to see these guys back in full. As you've had Bryant be able to ride about a 340 on base. Had a pair of home runs in that series against the Cubs. And for Charlie Blackman, not a lot of power this year, but about a 370 on base. You've got a few guys like a Nolan Jones, who's been able to give you 16 home runs, about a 360 on base. He hasn't been terrible on the road. You've got Ryan McMahon supplying 23 home runs, but this lineup is just not the same as that of the San Diego Padres. Perhaps the Padres were able to find a little bit of something recently as maybe they will put up at least five runs in five out of their last six games, and for that matter, seven out of their last nine games. But for the Padres, they average about .6 runs per game fewer when they're at home rather than on the road just because that goes very much a pitcher-friendly ballpark. Got Juan Soto, Manny Machado between the two of these guys, 60 home runs. Juan Soto has been able to give you about a 400 on base overall for the season, but if you look at him recently, this has really been sliding a little bit more around to 385 over the last three days, but post-all-star break, sub-360. You've had Fernando Tatis Jr. have his issues throughout the season as well. Post-all-star break, he's got a single-digit amount of homers. He's been giving you about a 300-ish on base. has been a little bit better once again in the last three days, but too little too late for the team as you still have quite a few guys like when they've tried to them out there. Ben Gamble, Eddie Rosario, Brandon Dixon, when he was in the fold, Gary Sanchez, Runet Odor, Matt Carpenter. They have been mixing and matching at the bottom, and none of these guys have worked out. So, very interesting ordeal here. And an eight or less, I'm going to be taking a look at the over in half prior to the under. Rockies just don't hit on the road. And for the Padres, one to lay up to a minus 128 on that run line, plus 248 or higher. Going to be looking at the Rockies on the money line, 959, 960 on the betting board. It is the Cleveland Guardians on the road, facing off against the Kansas City Royals. Brady Singer hopes to have the Guardians singing the blues. And Cal Quantrill is on the bump for Cleveland. Cleveland is a favorite. Anywhere between minus 115 to minus 120. Meanwhile, between minus 102 to plus 108 is your number on the Royals. Nine is the total. Over and under. Anywhere between minus 105 to minus 115. And I did set the Royals as a small favorite. I'm going to be willing to back them. Cal Quantrill had that incredible run that extended into the early part of the 2023 season where the Cleveland Guardians went 22-3 and in a stretch of 25 regular season starts with them out there on the field. And we have seen a little bit of reversal for Quantrill. 540 ERA. Been a little bit better than that with a 478 fielding independent. He's paying because he had a much lower ERA than fielding independent. Eight seasons ago and for Quantrill. We all know that this is a pitchy contact guy. Five strikes, a 3.2 walks per nine innings. 
It's done an okay job of being able to keep the ball in the yard this season. And I will say for Quantrill, he's made three starts since coming off the injured list. A combined three runs surrendered in 18 innings against the Giants, the Angels, and the Rays. Now the Angels are a little bit of a dead team, but I mean, he's on a nice little run. I do think that we're going to be seeing that come back to earth a little bit. Ten strikeouts in those 18 innings, by the way. So clearly not getting a lot of swings and misses. Meanwhile, for Brady Singer, this has just been a snake-bitten pitcher all season long. It feels like Murphy's Law has hit him. It's hit the Kansas City Royals has been just a poop log of a team all season long. As for Brady Singer, four plus runs surrendered in each out of his last four starts. He's got a 5.51 ERA compared to a 4.26 fielding independent. Still like getting about seven and a half strikeouts per nine innings, but 2.8 walks per nine innings, allowing one home run per nine innings. He has really been giving up the ding dongs recently. Six home runs surrendered over the course of his last four starts. But Brady Singer traditionally has always pitched quite a bit better when he has been at home rather than when he has been on the road. That has been the case this year. 4.35 home ERA, 7.18 ERA on the road, despite the fact that the home runs per nine rate is like 1.2 on the road, 1.1 at home, so not a big difference there. And for the Royals, they still do have guys that are giving you a relatively solid performance at the plate. Now, they were really hot post-All-Star break with regards to bats. They have cooled down considerably since then, but saw Bobby Wood Jr. Post-All-Star break is hitting about a 300 overall for the season. He supplied 29 home runs. And Salvador Perez, it's about 250, 21 home runs. You could use more out of a lot of the middling bats, I think is the best way of putting it. The likes of Nick Prado, Matt Beattie, Kyle Isabel, throwing there. Drew Waters, MJ Melendez, Michael Massey, Darion Blanco. These guys are all in between about a 225 to 235. Really, other than Beatty, you don't have anyone with above a 315 on base as the Royals. They're a bottom three team in the big leagues with regards to walks drawn on a per pay basis. And when you bet the Royals, you always roll that roll the dice with regards to this bullpen. The bullpen has been really, really bad. You don't have a single, like, consistent bullpen piece that has been able to provide a sub-450 ERA. Colin Sider has been halfway okay with regards to bullpen. Carlos Hernandez, Steven Cruz, Taylor Clark, Tucker Davidson. You just go down the list of all these guys. Worth of five ERA in his rampant. But the Cleveland Guardians, ever since the beginning of the month of July, they've been a pretty league average bullpen as well. You saw the likes of Angel de los Santos, obviously the closer and Emmanuel Classe, someone like Sam Enchages, Nick Sandlin. These guys have been able to give you a sub 375 ERA, but Eli Morgan is north of a four ERA. When he's been out there, Xavier Curry has had his issues as well, though a lot of those did come as a starter as well. And for the Cleveland Guardians, this team is still dead last in the league. With regards to home runs, you've got Jose Ramirez getting on a little bit of power surge. 24 home runs as far as this season. I see in Josh Naylor. Both give you between about a 350 to a 355 on base. But with the Cleveland Guardians, you just haven't gotten the same consistent inning from some of the ancillary pieces. You had Ahmed Rosario, Andre Jimenez, Oscar Gonzalez, Will Brandon, Stephen Kwamlai is here. All at at least a 270 for the team. Only guy in at least a 270 this season is Stephen Kwan. And as a matter of fact, Ahmed Rosario, he's only on the LA Dodgers. So that's not necessarily too terrific there. And I do think that for the Royals, they should be able to do a solid job being able to get to Cal Quantrill in this spot. I do think that both of these starting pitchers are going to give up some runs. I did something I told in a 9.2. Recognize that the Guardians have had a tough time with power, but I'm going to be taking a look at the over in this ordeal with a little bit of a dip we've seen with regards to the performance of the Guardians' bullpen. And with the Royals, I feel like they should be the favorite, taking them on the money line. 961-962 on the betting board. The Texas Rangers playoffs to the Boston Red Sox. Cutter Crawford goes for the Sox. And Jordan Montgomery is on the bump for Texas. Texas is back to being a favorite. Minus 155 to minus 162 is your number on them. And between plus 135 to plus 145 is your number on the Red Sox. In half is a 
total. Under is minus 115, and the over is minus 105. And I think that this is a golden opportunity for the Red Sox to play. Spoiler, and I like them in this spot. I set them at a minus... 142 with the Rangers, so need at least a plus 142 to take a shot on the Red Sox. We are starting to see some of those plus 145s pop up, so I'm going to be willing to back them on the money line. And with Carter Crawford, it's very strange to look at his home and road splits. A 6-10 home ERA for Carter Crawford, a 2-69 ERA on the road. His home runs per nine aren't necessarily completely different. I mean, on the road, it dips a little bit to right around 1.3, 1.4 home runs per nine innings at home. It's closer to about 1.5, but all in all, it's been pretty equal. But for Carter Crawford, he's just been much better when he's been away from Fedway. And Jordan Montgomery comes in in pretty awful form. He did have a really nice seven innings scoreless against the Toronto Blue Jays in his last start. Prior to that, he had given up a combined 11 runs over the course of... Nine plus innings against the Twins and the Oakland A's. He has given up three plus runs and four out of his last five starts. And ever since he has really gotten to Texas, it's been a little bit wobbly from a 359 ERA. The strikeouts to walk ratio is still there. He's still giving up just one home run for nine innings. The fielding independent matches up with that ERA of a 347. He doesn't really have demonstrative home and road splits, but tell that attrition is starting to get to this Texas Rangers team as currently the team is without two of their top four home run hitters as Josh Young is currently out of the fold. Adolis Garcia is as well. Now you do still have Corey Seager. Corey Seager has been amazing. 400 on base. He's giving you a home run every about 13 and a half at bats. And you still have quite a few guys that they have been able to supply those 14 plus home runs while being able to hit north of a 270 for the team. Like Mitch Garver, you throw in there Nathaniel Lowe, Ezekiel Duran, Marcus Simeon. These guys have been very solid, but now they are having to mix and match a little bit more with regards to the lineup. They've been looking to one of their young gun outfielders, and Evan Carter has been able to do a relatively solid job. But with the Rangers, you always have to have your fear with this bullpen, as you've got so many guys that you just cannot trust them whatsoever. We saw that on display on Sunday as I mean, Chris Trent has actually been halfway okay in the bullpen. About a 363 ERA. You've got Jose Leclerc supplying a sub-3-5 ERA. Roll to Shaman is all over the place, but all in all, he can give you some good innings. But Brock Burke is up to north of a 4 ERA. Jonathan Hernandez, rough to be able to trust in him. You've got Jake Ladds, who was like the first-round pick in the 2016 draft that they're kicking the tires on him for the Boston Red Sox. They've been a pedestrian bullpen themselves, but you do have the likes of a Josh Winkowski, obviously, the closer in Kenley Jansen. Chris Martin, these guys have been able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA along with Brandon Bernardino. And for Martin, it's actually a sub-2 ERA. And for the Boston Red Sox, they've been looking to some young guns as well as Christian Casas is currently on the injury list. That's a big loss, by the way, because he's been able to hit 24 home runs post-all-star break. He has been able to give you well north of a 400 base for a team that they do hit about 35 to 40 points lower with regards to batting average on the road than they do at home. But I will say for this for the Red Sox, a lot of those splits came in in the first half of the season. Since the All-Star break, things have really ironed out with regards to the home run road splits with regards to hitting, and Rafael Devers has been right at home hitting on the road. He's got about a 332 on base with 19 home runs on the road, more like 13 home runs at home. His on-base percentage is better at more around about a 365, but on up, he's been able to do a solid job. You were expecting perhaps a little bit more power of Masataki Yoshida, but he's moved lining at 285, about a 340 on base. Justin Turner has done a solid job getting on as well. You wanted on being out of the fold. It's been a little bit rough for this team, but you've had some of these guys like Abreu, like Sedine Raffaello. Hopefully I said that correctly. These guys have been able to do a really good job 
of filling in for the Red Sox. And I do think that the Red Sox have a little bit of an edge here with Cutter Crawford and the way that he's been able to pitch on the road. So a circumstance where I did set my total at an 8.9. Jordan Montgomery passed that one good start against Toronto. It's been a little bit wobbly recently. So looking at the over and looking at the Red Sox at a plus 142 or higher on the money line. 963, 964 on the betting board. The Houston Astros play the Baltimore Orioles as John Means Business is going to be on the bump for the Orioles. And Justin Verlander is on the bump for Houston. Houston is a favorite of anywhere between minus 140 to minus 150. Between plus 122 to plus 136 is your number on Baltimore. Eight and a half is the total. Over and under are both at minus 110. And I did set the Astros at a minus 148. If you are taking a look at the run line in this radio, you're finding it more in that neighborhood about a plus 140 or so. I would rather lay a little bit of a chalkier money line rather than taking a look at the run line, especially with this getting down to about a minus 140 in some spots. So I'm going to be taking a look at the Houston Astros. We were talking about it quite a bit with our good friend Patrick Creighton. Getting back Justin Verlander has been massive for this team. He's not the Justin Verlander that posted up a sub-2 ERA and was so amazing last season, but I mean, in his last five starts, studying fours, giving you a 348 ERA. In his last... Five starts. He's also gotten 32 strikeouts in 31 innings. It feels like some of that form that he had with Houston Astros last year is coming back to him. So that is very encouraging. He was giving up a few walks when he was coming off the injured list with the Mets. He's been able to control those quite a bit as well. And for John Means, his first time out, he gave up three runs over the course of five innings to the St. Louis Cardinals. Didn't look great. Didn't look terrible. He was a former All-Star, but let's call it what it is. That was back in the days when the Orioles, they needed to send someone to the All-Star game, and they really didn't have a lot of great candidates. So, with John Means, is he perhaps a little bit of an upgrade from some of these schlubs that they've been trotting out there throughout the season? Sure, but I don't think that this is a John Means, the All-Star that is going to give you like a sub-3 ERA or anything like that as of right now, but he is backed up by a lineup that certainly is just locked and loaded. You now have Gunnar Henderson and Anthony Santander, both at 27 home runs. You don't have that one superstar bat. Adley Rushman came up big in the game yesterday. He's been able to give you about a 365 on base, and we thank him for helping us cash that DK Network right up pick with 19 home runs. So that's been very nice. And since coming off the injured list, Ryan Mountcastle north of a 370 on base. He's been able to give you north of a 300 batting average. But I mean, after Rushman, because he's typically the leadoff guy, you do have Aaron Hicks, who with the team is able to give you about a 385 on base. But you typically have like six guys or so that have an on-base percentage somewhere between about a 315 to a 335. Nothing above that, nothing below that. Guys like Austin Hayes. I was mentioning Santander and Henderson before. You got Ryan O'Hearn, Jordan Westberg, Cedric Mullins, all these guys that they do a solid job moving line now. For the Orioles, the bullpen, they had to expend quite a bit of it yesterday. You've got Yannir Cano who's been able to give you a 2 ERA. Danny Colomb, D.L. Hall, CNL Perez. These guys have actually been quite good, all being able to give you a sub-350 ERA. But do have a few question marks there. And for the Houston Astros, a lot of these bullpen pieces have been able to round into form for this team. As you do have those guys that we were talking about with Patrick, like... Hector Neris, Phil Maton, Brian Tabreu, you're able to throw in there. Kendall Graveman, who they picked up at the trade deadline. All these guys have been able to give you 345 ERA or better. And with the Astros, you just have a little bit more firepower with this team because they are the number one team in the American League with regards to runs per game since the beginning of the month of June. Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, both between 27 and 28 home runs apiece. Both of these guys giving you at least a 369 on base. Alex Bregman has been able to surge as well. Alex Bregman just always struggles in the beginning part of the year, and he always finds his form this time of year. 437 on base over the last three days. Hasn't necessarily pounded out a bunch of homers, but he's done a good job moving the line 
You've been able to get Jazz McCormick on as well. Now you're getting Michael Brantley back in the fold as well. Yanir Diaz north of 20 home runs. So I do take a look at the Astros. I think that they back up Justin Verlander quite well. Baltimore has been a team that's been averaging right around about 5.4 or so runs per game on the road. They have been very solid with their offense. And I also do think that John Means not necessarily in the form that you want him to be. So I did sell my total at 9.2. Going to be taking a look at the over. And with the Houston Astros, one to lay up to a minus 148 on that money line. 965-966 on the betting board. It is the Seattle Mariners on the road facing off against the Oakland A's. J.P. Sears goes for the A's. And Brian Wu says woohoo to another start. As for Wu, he is anywhere between a minus 160 to a minus 170 favorite. Anywhere between plus 142 to a plus 152 is your number on Oakland. 7 to 7.5 is the total on 7 over. Minus 120, the under is even on the 7.5, under is minus 115, and the over is minus 105. I set the Mariners at a minus 222. I was willing to go up to about a minus 130 with regards to this run line, so I am all aboard the Seattle Mariners with Brian Wu. If you take out that first start that he had, that was that first appearance that he made against the Texas Rangers. He got six outs and he gave up six runs. It was just absolutely horrible. He's been a halfway decent pitcher. Not a great pitcher, but far from terrible. About a 354 ERA, registering just under nine strikeouts per nine innings. Walks per nine rate, that's in the neighborhood about a two and a half as well. So, Sadie Eddie hold down the fourth sort of pitcher. And for J.P. Sears, some of his numbers are a little bit misleading because while J.P. Sears, if you look at the walks per nine rate, it's 2.6. He actually leads the league and hit by pitches with 15. So, you essentially have to bump this up to more like 3.4 walks per nine innings compared to 8.2 strikeouts per nine. And he has really been giving up the deep ball. Now, good news for J.P. Sears is that he has made three starts against the Angels, Blue Jays, and the Houston Astros since the beginning of the month of September. It's kind of combined 17 innings, giving up just three runs on this front, so that has been very good, but he has really given up the deep ball at home, which is not a good sign because Oakland is about as pitcher-friendly as it gets. In Oakland, he has been given up in the neighborhood about 1.8 to 1.9 home runs per nine innings, posting up a 4.76 ERA, going up against a Seattle Mariners team that ever since the All-Star break, this has been a top-10 team with regards to runs per game. You've got Teoscar Hernandez, Uli Rodriguez, Cal Raleigh, all being able to supply at least 25 home runs this season. And bigger than that for the Seattle Mariners, now they've got more guys moving the line as well. You've had guys like Cade Marlowe, Dominic Canzone. It's not like they've been world beaters or anything like that, but they've given this lineup a little bit of pop ever since Josh Roas has come over as well. He's been able to find a little bit of a new lease on his MLB career as well as as a member of the Seattle Mariners, hitting about a 280 with 337 on base. Not necessarily supplying a whole ton of power or anything like that, but just getting on to make more of these home runs. Two run shots, three run shots. J.P. Crawford since the All-Star break has also been able to give you north of a 400 on base. And now they're getting Jared Kelnick back at the fold as well. On top of that for the Seattle Mariners, this is a top five team in the big leagues with regards to bullpen area. You've had so many guys be able to deliver a sub-370 ERA. The likes of Trent Thornton, Justin Topa, Isaiah Campbell, Taylor Cicado, Andres Munoz. These guys have all been able to do a solid job. Gabe Spire has been a little bit on the fritz recently, but all in all, these guys have done a great job of being able to hold down the fort. Meanwhile, for the Oakland A's, since the beginning of the month of July, it's been more of a league average respectable bullpen. Now, Danny Jimenez is starting to get used up a little bit too much along Trevor May. They've really had to rely a lot on these guys. And Devin Sweet, former Seattle Mariner, is posting up north of an 11 ERA. That's been a little bit less than terrific, but they've been able to do an okay job of holding down the fort. The biggest thing for the A's is that they just can't find a way to be able to generate offense at home. They're averaging about 3.4 runs per contest. 
as dead last in the big leagues with so many guys like J.J. Blade, Kevin Smith, Florence Butler, Nick Allen, Shea Langelaire, Seth Brown, all hitting at 221 or lower. I'll give you a sub 300 on base. I will say for Langelaire's 20 home runs, but I mean, this ballpark really just takes a lot out of you from an offensive perspective. Like Brent Rooker, for example, he's right now leading the team in homers. He's made with 26 home runs this far this season. He's got a 308 on base at home with nine home runs on the road, 16 home runs with a 335 on base. Asteria Ruiz. To be able to do a solid job. I believe he leads the American League with regards to stolen bases, but the A's just can't find a way to be able to generate offense at home. I think the Brian Wu going to do a good job of keeping them at bay, and I do think that the Mariners are going to get to a guy in Sears who has really struggled at home. So I did set my total at an 8.3. I feel like the 7.5 is a little bit too low just with the way that the Mariners have been able to hit and the way that the Oakland A's have had a tough time having J.P. Sears keep the ball in the yard. So going to be taking a look at the over. Set my total at an 8.3, and with the Seattle Mariners, one of up to about a minus 130 on that run line. Currently, find that anywhere between even money and plus 110. So, sign me up for the Mariners' run line to go along with this total over. 967-968 on the betting board. The Minnesota Twins are on the road facing off against the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are into Cincinnati, and they're on undecided getting the start for them. Meanwhile, Joe Ryan is going to be on the bump for the Minnesota Twins. This is a game that is presently off the board. Currently, I've got projected Connor Phillips. I was seeing that on CBS, ESPN, so... I'm assuming that we do get him, and if this is the case, I'd be willing to lay up to a minus 130 with regards to that Twins money line. I would need at least a plus 128 to take a look at them on the run line. Instead of total to wear a 9 or less, I'd be looking at the over 9.5 prior to the under. Now with young Connor Phillips, first who starts at the big league level, have not necessarily gone as planned. Eight runs surrendered in eight and two-thirds innings on the road against the Tigers and at home against the Seattle Mariners with the main issue being the deep ball with him. He's given up three home runs, and top of that, he has given up in this time span six walks as well. And I do think that there is quite a bit of upside with Connor Phillips. They've had to rush him along a little bit to the big league level just because this is a very young team that has been dealing with a whole bunch of ailments recently. So and it's been a little bit less than terrific for the Cincinnati Reds. They're trying to mix a match at this point. And if you look at what Phillips did at the minor league level, was a strikeout machine. 13 strikeouts for nine innings, but he would give up those walks. He was this year at the minor league level giving up about five walks per nine innings. But you do have a guy in Joe Ryan that it's not quite the same on the road as he is at home. 377 home area, 467 road His big issue is he gives up darn near two home runs per nine innings when he is on the road. But for the Cincinnati Reds, they've really been lacking a lot of firepower and a lot of thump with regards to their lineup. Four runs or fewer scored in four out of their last five games. Now they have gotten a few pieces back at the fold as now they've got Jake Fraley and they've got Joey Votto back after they were dealing with injury. Jonathan India as well. India has been able to give you 16 home runs right around a 330 on base, but this team has had a massive fall off since the All-Star break and I think that can be tied back to the fact that Haley De La Cruz, we always look at the highlight plays and we gush at them and very rightfully so, but He's got a buck 87 batting average with a 270 on base and seven home runs and 220 at bats since the All Star break. It's really not that good. I wish I could put it any other way, but it's not. We expected a little bit more, perhaps, out of Christian Encarnacion Strand. About a 325 on base. He's been fine. Nothing great, nothing terrible. But Spencer Steer, he's been the guy that has really been steering the ship all season long. North of a 350 on base. 
He leads the way, being able to supply 22 home runs this season. Joey Votto, he's been able to give you a home run every about 14 or so at-bats, but since he also break 276 zombies, 7 home runs and 127 at-bats, you just need a little bit more there. And Nick Senzel, when he's been out there on the field, hasn't given you a lot either. Meanwhile, for the Minnesota Twins, this team does hit about 20 to 25 points lower on the road than at home with regards to their batting average. And you do have a foursome that hits a lot of home runs but doesn't really get on base. Max Kepler, Michael A. Taylor, Joey Gallo, Carlos Correa, all between 18 and 22 home runs. The only guy that's given you north of a 301 on base has really been Carlos Correa, along with Kepler. Correa right around 312 on base, 321 with Kepler, but you just expect a little bit more out of these guys. But that said, when they these guys do go yard, typically you get two run shots and three run shots because you do have a lot of guys like Alex Kurloff, Ryan Jeffers, Matt Walner, providing about a 350 to a 370 on base. Royce Lewis has four grand slams over the last 30 days. He's been able, able to hit above a 300, 370 on base, 370 on base for Edouard Julien as well. So, got a lot of guys have really stepped up in this Twins lineup. For the Twins, you've been able to get some good bullpen pitching out of Yohan Duran along with Caleb Theobar. They're providing both a sub 3-3 ERA. Griffin Jacks has been okay as well. When you get into the long guys like Brent Hendrick and company, that's when you really start to roll the dice. And both of these teams are relatively league average teams with regards to their bullpen. The Minnesota Twins overall for the season, they're right in that neighborhood about 15th to 16th with regards to bullpen area. The Reds, to their credit, 10th with regards to bullpen area. So ever since the beginning of the month of August, you've been able to get some good outings out of the likes of Ian Gabo when he's been out there. Alex Young is he's currently dealing with a little bit of an injury, but Lucas Sims, Alexis Diaz, they've been able to give you a sub-375 ERA. Too bad TJ Antone, it looks like, is back out of the fold for the team as well. But on all, the Reds have been able to do a solid job there. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a bottled-up total than what you'd expect. Cincinnati, typically a launching pad for offense, but we've been seeing a lot of unders recently. So we to lay up to a minus 130 with the Twins plus 132 or higher. Looking at the Reds, and then 9 or less looking at the over 9.5 or higher to the under. 969-970 on the betting board. The Washington Nationals. Playoffs of Chicago White Sox as Mike Clevenger goes for the Southsiders and Johan Adone is on the bump for Washington. Washington, a very slight underdog. Anywhere between plus 102 to plus 108. Meanwhile, between minus 112 to minus 122, your number on the White Sox. 9.5 is the total. Under is minus 120. The over is even. If you're looking at the run line in the spot, you're able to lay a run and half and get about a plus 130 to a plus 135 on the White Sox. And that does not appeal to me. At a plus 106 or higher, I was willing to take a look at the Nationals. I'm seeing a plus 108 out there. So that's where we're looking right now. With Yohan Adon, he is not lighting the world on fire by any stretch of the imagination. The Nationals have actually won quite a few of his starts. I feel like this has been a case of in spite of him rather than because of him. With Yohan Adon still not necessarily getting a ton of swings and misses. About 7.8 strikeouts to 3.8 walks for 9.90. It's better than he was last season, but I mean, the field independent is a 508. The ERA is a 592. He has some work to do as he has given up four plus runs in three out of his last five starts. But for Mike Clevenger, the fielding independent and the ERA don't necessarily match up with him as well. I will say, since he last came off the injured list, has been much better. 361 ERA, 415 with regards to his fielding independent. Eight strikeouts to three walks for nine innings. He's done a solid job keeping the ball in the yard, but I mean, it's been all or nothing for him. In his last five starts, he has given up four, one, eight, zero, and two runs. So, Either get really good Mike Clevenger or you get really bad Mike Clevenger. To his credit, the swings and misses have been coming back to him a little bit. Some plus strikeouts and now three out of his last four starts. And for Mike Clevenger, I was mentioning the last time he came off the injury list. If you take a look at things from July 29th on, 
around a 329 ERA. The fielding independent right around about a 328. He's done a good job being able to cut down on the deep ball, but whenever you bet on the White Sox, you also bet on this bullpen, and it is absolutely terrible. Grant Gray Santos has been able to give you a sub-4 ERA, but I mean, pass that. Sammy Peralta, I guess, has been okay, but likes of Lane Ramsey, when he has been out there, you've had Jimmy Lambert, Aaron Bummer, all these guys that provide north of a 5 ERA just completely implode things. Ramsey were in the mid-fours, but... I mean, those guys have been rough. Meanwhile, we've got Jordan Weems, Hunter Harvey, Kyle Finnegan. That'll be able to give you a sub for ERA for the Washington Nationals. And the Nationals, they do a solid job of being a move line. Neither of these teams register too many walks, though, for the White Sox. It's really bad with them because they are right there with the Royals for dead last with regards to walks drawn on a per-at-bat basis. But when it comes to the Washington Nationals, you do have quite a few guys that have done a solid job getting on base, being able to move line. As Stone Garrett being out of the folder, to see him a little bit, but still have the likes of Ilyarmo Vargas, Dom Smith, Luis Garcia, Keybet Ruiz. We've all been able to about a 252-260 CJ Airbump down just below that at right around about a 245. You don't get a lot of on-base from a lot of these guys, but with Keybet Ruiz, 17 home runs this season. Lane Thomas has been your main measure, 25 home runs, about a 320 on-base, and then you got Joey Manessa sitting about a 280 as well. The Nationals really don't have big righty and lefty splits as well, and then for the Chicago White Sox, you really have one guy on the roster that has been able to give you north of a 320 on base. That'd be Andrew Benatendi as he, Andrew Vaughn, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, only between about a 258 to 270. And for Robert, he's been able to supply 35 home runs. Vaughn is up to 20 home runs as well. But you got a bottom of the fold that is much more deplorable than that of the Washington Nationals. You got the likes of Oscar Colas, Gavin Sheets, Lennon Sosa. When he's been out there, Trace Thompson. You've had uh, someone like a Corey Lee, all these guys hitting below a 220, not a lot of on base. And for Corey Lee, sitting a 065. Like, that just should not be possible. Now, with the Nationals, not like this team is world beaters or anything like that, but I do think that Clevenger going to be cooling down just a little bit here. Neither of these lineups are great. Neither of these pitchers are great. I set my total at a 9.3. At the 9.5 that we're seeing right now, going to be taking a look at the under. Personally, I would rather have a 9 over, and we're starting to see some of those pop, so it'll depend upon what we get in the AM. If we can get a 9, I'd rather have that over rather than a 9.5 under, but at the current 9.5 number, we'll be looking at the under. Now, with the Nationals, we'll take plus 106 or higher with them, and wrap things up with 971, 972 on the betting board. It is the LA Dodgers and the playoffs to the Detroit Tigers. It is to be determined on the bump for the Tigers and it is to be determined who is on the bump for the LA Dodgers. So this game is off the board. Right now we are seeing Eduardo Rodriguez going on ESPN for the Tigers. Meanwhile, Lance Lynn is on the bump for the Dodgers. I know that CBS has this lined up with Rodriguez going on Tuesday. Personally, I think that the difference between Eduardo Rodriguez along with like a bullpen piece, what have you, of the Tigers is probably at least 60 cents. Like right now I've got Lance Lynn versus Alex Fiedo dialed up and with the Dodgers in Lynn versus Fiedo, I'd be willing to lay up to about a minus 145 on the run line with the Dodgers set them at a minus 262 on the money line. If this were Eduardo Rodriguez, I would have to shrink that by at least 60 cents, if not perhaps a little bit more. And I do think that Lance Lynn is going to give up some runs in this circumstance. For Lance Lynn, he had a couple nice starts when he came over to the LA Dodgers, but he has not been able to rectify the one big thing that has been ailing him all season long. The deep ball, because with Lance Lynn, regardless of if he's been with the White Sox or the Dodgers, he's gotten strikeouts this year. Overall for the season, nine and a half strikeouts, so three walks per nine innings. Overall for the season, 2.2 home runs surrendered per nine innings. And with the Dodgers, he's up to two and a half home runs allowed 
for 990. So if you get Fajardo, he can certainly be giving up a lot of hard contact of his own. He's been able to subsidize the walks and for Eduardo Rodriguez, he's been halfway decent. But you have to go up against the Dodgers lineup that, here's a news flash. they've been pretty darn solid thus far this season. They just went to Seattle and they scored six plus runs in every single one of those games. And for the LA Dodgers, they have scored at least six runs and all but one out of their last, I believe now, nine games. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous what this offense is doing. You've got Mookie Betts along with Max Muncy. A combined 74 home runs this season. Now, Muncy doesn't hit for the world's greatest average, but still gives you about a 332 on base for Mookie Betts since the beginning of the month of August. His on-base percentage is darn near 500. You've had J.D. Martinez be a little bit in and out of the fold, but he still provides 26 home runs along with Freddie Freeman. Freeman, 335 average, 413 on base. This is a Dodgers team that they light up righties, they light up lefties. You just have no running from the team whatsoever. And for the L.A. Dodgers, you just have so much depth as well with someone like James Altman, who's starting to give you 20-plus home runs this season. And for the Dodgers as well, they've got the number one bullpen in the big leagues since the beginning of the month of July with regards to ERA. As a matter of fact, they're about a half a point clear of every other team with regards to bullpen ERA in that time span. As got a big three in Caleb Ferguson, Evan Phillips, Super Sarder Gradwell, all giving you a sub-280 ERA. Ryan Brazier, since he came over from the Red Sox, a sub-2 ERA. They're starting to get Shelby Miller back in the fold. And for the Tigers, it's been a respectable bullpen that has been average to below average this year. Tyler Holton, Jason Foley, they've both been able to give you a sub-375 ERA. Alex Lang has been looking a little bit better as well. And you do have Spencer Torkelson starting to light it up, 28 home runs. You like to see that. You've also been able to have Kerry Carpenter supply about a 350 on base. He's up to 20 home runs, but you just were expecting to be able to have Riley Green out there. He's been injured all season long. He's when he's been out there, giving you about a 350 on base, but that's been rough. And then you have the guys at the bottom of the fold, like Akil Badu, Zach Shore, Tyler Nevin, Parker Meadows, Carson Kelly, newly picked up. You're able to throw in there Jake Rogers, all these guys hitting at 225 or lower with a 310 on base or lower. Rogers has given you a few home runs, but all in all, it's been a little bit of a rough state of affairs. We do need to see who's going to be pitching for the Tigers because, like I said, with Lance Lynn on the bump, we're on the layup to a minus 145 with the Dodgers run line, 9.5 or less to the over, 10 or higher to the under if it is against Alex Fajardo. If it would be against Eduardo Rodriguez, I'd be slashing that by at least 60 cents. That honestly, it might even be a little bit more. And then that total that I said at a 9.5 or less to the over, that would be more like a 9 or less to the over, 9.5 prior to the under on initial look at Eduardo Rodriguez. I'm sort of thinking that we get Rodriguez on Tuesday, so I'm planning for Alex Fajardo, some sort of poo-poo platter of pitchers, so do check back in the morning at GNNR Squirty 1, but that's why I'm playing Dodgers versus Tigers, and that will wrap things up for the Monday edition of the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever you your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline slash my X timeline at June under 41. Keep in mind, letters CM. I mean, it does not matter. So as per usual, please just send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via the five-star review. And I'm coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. 
I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.